Hey friends, welcome to Garden Church Podcast. This is a series called Jesus People. We are looking at who Jesus is and how we become more like him. Jesus People are God's strategy for transforming the world. We hope you enjoy this podcast. For more information, go to garden.church. Man, I am so happy. We got a big old pool in front right here. That means that at our church, people are getting baptized at the end of the service. So I'm so excited for that. Grab a Bible. We're going to Mark chapter 5. Let me hear those pages turning. I hear those pages turning. (laughs) That was good, right? Tone? I mean, I don't sing professionally yet, but... um, I'm like worshiping to that song. Where's Faith? She's probably talking to the team. That second to last song, man, that hit me. I, I was like, I was, I was, the enemy thought he had me. Like I was, and like I was recalling, th- this is what was going on for me in my worship to Jesus this morning as we gathered. I, I was super depressed and suicidal as a, as a freshman and sophomore in high school. And the Lord saved me from suicide. And then I left the faith and I was angry at God and the church and because uh, people in the church are never perfect. And when you expect people to be perfect, you're always going to hate God. Side note, deconstructionists and anyone that's been hurt by church wounds, which is a real thing, we hold on to them for a little too long. It becomes poison in our soul. And God saved me, brought me back to faith, delivered me from the things I was doing as a college student. I can tell you so many stories, and I just want to say I have a testimony. I I have a testimony of the risen Jesus in my life. I know what he's done. And some of you know what he's done, and we need to worship him. He's not just saved you, he's healed you, and he's delivered you. That is the ministry of Jesus, which we're going to talk about in our series today. Jesus, people, let's go. Mark chapter 5. I'm just going to jump in. I don't have time to do what I normally do, which is linger longer because we're going to get some people in this water, which, by the way, the first time in garden history, the water's warm. So let's go. um, (laughs) We'll see how we'll see how long it stays warm. Verse five, uh, chapter five, verse one. Let's read this. I'm going to read this. I was going to say, let's read this together. But that means you think you're going to read out loud. Don't read out loud. I'm going to read it. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Lord Jesus Christ, we ask that you would minister to us in the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray as we teach about things that matter to you, you would give us revelation. Allow us to understand your ministry and how we participate in it today. I pray, Lord, as we hold back from you, areas of our lives that we have grown comfortable with, comfortable with, we would hand them over to you, Jesus. I pray for the power of, of truth to set captives free today. Break off false agreements and come into the understanding of what it means to be delivered in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus people, we're talking about what it means to be disciples of Jesus. And as disciples of Jesus, we're looking at the, the ministry of Jesus his ideas about the world, his worldview and narratives. We're looking at lifestyle habits and practices, and we're looking at the character and nature of God. And we're doing this in a theme. 
I've already talked about the primary ministry of Jesus so far. There's been two of them. This is the third. If you were to look at the Gospels, you would see there are three primary things that Jesus does. These are the three categories in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's three things he does primarily. Number one, he proclaims the kingdom of God. He preaches the kingdom. This is our first sermon we did um, in the series. Number two, he heals the sick. And number three, he delivers people from evil spirits. If you were to summarize, someone's like asking, what's the ministry of Jesus? It's not love. It's he came proclaiming the kingdom of God and demonstrating it. And he demonstrated it, not just with a good life, but doing things in the world, healing the sick and, and delivering people from evil spirits. Are you guys good with this? So when we talk about as disciples, we wanna have the worldview of Jesus. We wanna know how he sees the world. And the way we get access to that is through the scriptures, which is divinely inspired. It tells the history and truth. And in the scriptures themselves, the scripture is revelation of what God's like. And what we see is that his ministry is marked by deliverance. Deliverance is the action of being saved or set free. And if you were to do a word study in the Gospel of Luke, by the way, um, that word saved is sozo. It's used for healing, deliverance, and salvation or saved. So we see this theme that there's this integration of what it means to be saved by Jesus. In 1 John chapter 3, the, the gospel writer, the apostle John, writes an epistle and he summarizes the ministry of Jesus. And he says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Amen. I'm with you on that. Some of us don't know that yet. We can shout amen when we hear good truth like the scripture of God being read. That's right. Let's go. Wake up, nine o'clock. You get the warmest coffee so far, the hot coffee from 1010 Roasters. Thank you, 1010. Just show, shout out to them. You can subscribe to their roast if you want. Okay, John chapter 10. I don't get paid or free coffee for that. Just letting you know. Um, maybe I should. Just kidding. John 1010. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus says, I have come that they, meaning you, may have life and have it to the full. This is the summary of Jesus' mission in the Gospel of John from his mouth. He says two things that you need to know. That we have an enemy and the enemy's job, which he says later on, or actually earlier, he says the devil's been sinning since the beginning. He's the father of lives. He says that there, is, there, are, there are powers working against God's kingdom and those powers working against God's kingdom have a summary of coming to steal, destroy, and kill God's good and beautiful creation. We read about this in Genesis 3. We read about a serpent. We read about an adversary who comes and tempts Adam and Eve. And with that temptation comes disobedience or rebellion from humanity. We were designed to rule with God in partnership with God as humans. And we handed over that rule to Satan and the power of darkness. And with sin and rebellion came all sorts of other things. Satan took power and dominion over the earth. I'm giving you a lot of theology this morning. Are we awake? Are we good for it? I'm, I'm, I want you to know the truth of Scripture. I want you to know what the Bible actually teaches, not have bad ideas about the Bible. I want you to have an imagination that's biblically sound. And so we were designed to live in partnership with God to rule creation, and we handed over that rule to Satan in Genesis 3. With sin... And rebellion and destruction came uh, loss of our reign over creation, the power to partner with God in creation. We are ex exiled from Eden where we couldn't eat from the tree of life and live in perfect partnership with God for eternity. And from that point on, God was on a loving, redemptive, restorative mission to restore creation back to himself. Okay, this is the story of the entire Bible. Death comes into the story as a result of Genesis 3. So Jesus says the enemy has been uh, sinning from the beginning and his work, according to John, is to destroy what the devil's been doing. Now stay with me. So when you look at the New Testament lens and the life of Jesus, he comes announcing what? The kingdom of God, which we call good news. Amen? Now we think good news, maybe I get to go to heaven when I die. That's not the message Jesus preached. He preached heaven is available here and now. You can live in lo right, loving relationship with God here and now. You can experience the restoration of Eden here and now through relationship to me. 
Oh, we are preaching the gospel this morning. Good news is not just good teaching. It always confronts evil. Evil is something we cannot overcome by simple human goodwill and teaching. Evil is at its root demonic and too great for us to overcome. Number two, this is what I want you to hear. It is for the purpose that Jesus came to overcome evil. We just looked at that. Point number three, evil cannot be overcome just through teaching ethical values but by the power of God, which is given to us by the Holy Spirit. Stay right here for a second. This is where we get into trouble when liberal theology comes over and we just say, we just got to live the right way. And then we'll, we'll restore all of the systems in the world through, through ethics and moral value and legislating those ethics. It's not going to work. We need the power of God to overcome evil. You might think, I'm just going to fast and be a better person and my life's going to be happier because I'm meditating and I listen to good podcasts. That's not going to save you from the devil. You're like, devil, wait. Okay, let me give you point number four and I'll come back to the devil. Number four, through prayer for healing and prayer for deliverance, we become channels for Jesus to heal and to free people as well as institutions and societies from the evil that weighs them down. When we talk about the deliverance of, uh, the, the ministry of deliverance in the church, or I'm sorry, let me start with this. When we talk about the deliverance ministry of Jesus, we are assuming as disciples, we are invited into the same ministry. Now what we've done is we've, Hollywoodized the idea of deliverance. And I want to give you a theology of deliverance. So let's just jump into more scripture. You guys good? I'm feeling you out. Okay, 9 a.m. I'm feeling it out. I'm also feeling out the weightiness of the sermon because I know where we're going and I'm very hopeful for it and I've got 28 minutes. So I'm going to skip. Okay, so I just want to show you there are seven specific uh, deliverance stories found in the Gospels. Here's a list. Take a picture if you want it. Um, I'm not going to go through each of those. Let's go back to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 5, I want to paint the picture for, because I want to talk about the story of Mark 5, what's happening in history. And then I want to, I'm, I'm trying to go back to say what, what's going on theologically in the grand narrative of Scripture and what's happening theologically for us to understand what's do, what Jesus is doing. And then we're going we're gonna to come back to the Scripture and then we're going to talk about your life and the power of deliverance in your own life and how we have authority over demons. That's the goal. That's where we're going, okay? Gospel of Mark. The disciples have no clue in Mark chapter 5 who Jesus is. The story right before this is setting you up for this story. I love the narratives. They're so beautiful. They're a theology of what happened and a theology why it happened so you as the disciples know how to live today. Mark chapter four, the, the, the disciples have to go across the, the, the lake to a region that's marked as unclean. It's where Gentiles lived. They don't ever cross the lake as fishermen. You'd never do that. They do it because Jesus said to do it. The reason you don't do it is because your mindset and worldview believes that the, there's other gods deities, powers, demons that control the cosmos. They, they challenge Yahweh. And so you, the sea represents the Leviathan, other deities that have powers over the watery chaos. So you don't go, you stay close to the shore. That's common. And when they get, when they go across the lake, their superstition is accurate. There's a storm. They're going to die. They wake Jesus up to, to help them get water out of the boat. And he doesn't get water out of the boat. He speaks and the storm stops. And now they're like, uh-oh. The question at the end of four is, who is this? That even obey, he, what he, when he speaks, the winds obey. Who speaks the winds into existence in Genesis 1 and 2? Yahweh. The Lord the creator God, in the boat. They don't know that yet, right? They don't know who he is fully until Mark chapter eight when, when, when Jesus uh, asks, who, who do you think I am? And Peter says, you are the Messiah. And then, and then Jesus goes, you didn't get this on your own. You got it from the father. <laughs> He's like, you, didn't, you couldn't be that clever. <laughs> who is this? And the question's answered by the demon. What do you want with me? Jesus, the son of the most high God. Who is it? That's who it is. That's why the disciples will regularly miss the point. They won't get it right. They'll keep fumbling. But who gets it right every time? Demons. Demons have good theology. <laughs> Just bad practice. 
They know who the Lord is. They don't practice. Some of you have good theology. The man with an impure spirit, that word is unholy, that word is without relationship to God, spirit, unholy spirit, was restrained by community. I want you to get into the story. Get into, if this was a Netflix, it would be like, this is the, the story leading up. How did he get here? But we get these glimpses. He's living in isolation. And it says three times, near the tombs. He's living in the place where you bury the dead. And the society or the community, the town, they tried to help him. They didn't, maybe all the witch doctors and the, the doctors of the day tried to help him. They tried to diagnose and so they couldn't, they couldn't figure it out. So they bound him. They put chains on him. He broke the chains and it says uh, no one could, could, uh, could restrain him because no one was strong enough, which is an illusion. Again, it's, it's pointing to forward. When, when, when Jesus will say, I'm, uh, you know, how, you go into a strong man's house, you have to have someone stronger. He's talking about his, his mission towards taking back from the devil what God uh, originally wanted to give to his, his partner's humanity. You guys good? But you have this crazy story of this man held hostage by evil. And I think what we do is we do our best to fix the sickness, not understanding that the sickness is actually demonic today. So we'll make policies. We will, uh, we will, we will create, um, in some cases, we'll, we'll create, uh, um, we will subs- uh, prescribe to, what am I trying to say? We'll diagnose them, that's what I'm trying to say as this other thing and we just leave them to isolation. And so the disciples are coming into this horror film. You know, mama taught them not to cross the sea, not to cross the sea. And then because there's evil over there and as soon as they get to the sea, evil shows up. And like living from the tombs. I mean, you can't make this up. This is like, this is absolutely intentional to show you who Jesus really is. Jesus steps across the sea to a land dedicated to foreign gods. And as soon as he gets there, the other foreign deities, the devils, the spirits come meet to greet him. Do you notice that? The spirits come running to meet him and the regional demons who are at this point inhabiting a person declares him as the one true son of the most high God. Isn't that fascinating? Let me tell you this about this story. The truth is people can open themselves up to evil through a variety of ways, even today, through habitual unrepentant sin, through drug and alcohol abuse, which enables a person to not have self-control and be alert like the Bible says. You can open yourself up through evil and false religions. Spirituality in general, you can open yourself up to the, the uh, Satan's realm and demonic activity. They actually sell tarot cards at Target. And we think they don't have power. They have power. You have to be aware. The narratives you're allowing into your life have power. And it's not that you're supposed to hide from the world. It's that you have to recognize that you can open yourself up to spiritual realities. Um, you can open yourself up to spiritual realities through cultic behavior. Cutting yourself in an, is in, in the ancient uh, ritual of a pagan cult. So I look at some of the trauma of the self-hatred in our world today that leads to people cutting themselves, which many in our church have done that. That is a form of pagan worship. In, in uh, Second or First Kings, when the prophets of Baal uh, or Baal are worshiping uh, versus Elijah as they're on Mount Carmel and they're calling down for Baal to worship to burn up this this uh, uh, altar dedicated to Baal, uh, they 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 keep walking around calling. He doesn't answer. Elijah's making fun of them. And when they they what do you do when the gods are are, are fickle and un, don't answer your prayers in the ancient pagan culture? You, you you offer more sacrifice. So what do you have after you've given everything you have? You have your blood. So you cut yourself to offer it as a sacrifice. You're literally opening yourself up to pagan gods. Are you guys okay? All right. Never forget the first time I experienced a power encounter with demonic activity. I I, I had dreams and experiences. I've, I've met people. Uh, I had some crazy experiences, but the first real 
encounter at our church was in probably February, March 2009 he, uh, at, at First Christian Church. And we were worshiping with probably 13 of us at that point, 14, I don't know. The, our church was small. And we were just starting out, and this girl came in, and she was out of her mind. And we had a lot of those back then, um, and still to this day, we have a lot of you. Um, but she uh, began to make potions out of the coffee and donuts we had and dance around trying to throw the potion on our worship leader. And so we had to, we had to like stop her and then we started praying for her and I was behind and we had a couple team praying and I started praying in tongues be, from behind. She, she couldn't hear me. I wasn't trying to like pray. I was just gently like, Lord, I don't know what to say. So would you help intercede? And she starts reacting like she was hearing the worst sound in the world and takes off running. Left our church power encounter. I know this is my experience, but let me tell you a story. She ends up going to Los Angeles where she writes on the building of a church, love me, graffitis. Gets arrested, gets put in the hospital. We find out about it. Uh, some people that we were connected to who do, do deliverance ministry went and uh, she was 5150 uh, and they, they didn't find drugs in her system and she was set free and delivered in, that, in, that, in the hospital. She came back to our church with her family. Her family thanked us, and we never saw her again until a couple years ago. She came back to our church. She's a, she got baptized. She's a Bible believer. Comes to our church now. I, I, can t I can't tell you how many stories that I've seen where there's intense power encounters tr and truth encounters. We'll talk about those later. That, that take place where, where there are demonic activity happening. The problem is we have been formed by 18th century enlightenment, rationalistic, scientific worldview, where we assume materialism. We don't really believe that this is a fight going on. It's what one of my favorite movies, um, The Usual Suspects, he says, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. And our worldview of not believing in, in, in what the worldview that Jesus had, which was a, uh, a warfare worldview, has shaped our prayer life, our community life, and how we interact in the world and in in with our families. The Bible reveals a spiritual warfare worldview. You need to understand this. That the Old Testament, here's some theology. The Old Testament assumes the presence of in, in, uh, invisible spiritual beings, like human beings, but that aren't human, that clearly have a mind and will of their own and they can choose to work with God or against him. In Daniel chapter 10, we talked about this. It reveals certain evil, uh, invisible cosmic beings who possess the power to disrupt a plan of God to answer a prayer. Just read Daniel 10. It talks about this. Our battle is not with flesh and blood, but against spiritual realities opposing God's way of life in and around us. I can't emphasize this enough. When the kingdom of God is proclaimed, the kingdom of darkness is challenging it. Every inch we step in that brings progress for the kingdom of God is pushing back against the kingdom of darkness. We do not live in a neutral territory. So I think of warfare in the same way I think of uh, an ecosystem. That culture that we, we are surrounded in uh, can influence our emotions, our ideas, our thoughts, and our habits. And that culture we live in, because it is marked by Satan and evil, for the most part, allows us to be okay or desensitized, or I would say allows us to domesticate evil in our lives. I think of it like this. The story of the pet dragon. You, st you, you welcome in a dragon in your home, and you think it's so cute and cuddly at first. It's very innocent. You feed it, but eventually that dragon's gonna grow and it's gonna eat you alive. You know what I'm talking about? That's what happens in our lives when we open ourselves up to demonic activity. It doesn't start with possession, to use that word, which I'm gonna help you have better theology for today. It starts with holding on to bitterness. It starts with you being hurt by somebody in this community and you holding on to unforgiveness. And now you're wrapped in a, a your, your bitterness in your heart becomes resentment over time. And resentment can produce all sorts of things, but the thing you don't want is unforgiveness. Because when you choose unforgiveness to willingly unforgive people, 
in your life, you give legal permission to, this, to the devil to torment you, according to scriptures. Matthew has a parable in, about this, about the unforgiving servant. That when you, what starts small and innocent, a little tiny pet dragon that's cute, a wound, somebody hurt you, somebody offended you, and you hold on to it. And then that grows over time. And maybe they hurt you really, really bad, but you still hold on to it. You don't, you don't, you don't have to have reconciliation in the relationship. You have to have forgiveness in the relationship. You don't, have a re- you don't have to have a restoration of relationship if boundaries have been crossed and they're continued to hurt you and cause all sorts of pain. You actually need to have boundaries up, but your heart needs to go to God. Why are the Psalms filled with the majority uh, lament Psalms with hate in it? Psalm is a prayer book. If you, have you ever read the Psalms? There's, there's parts where he's like, kill my enemies, kill their babies. That's so insane. Like, oh, it's David being, no, 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 no. If hate is not uh, released, it will become a place where the enemy uses it as a tool of destruction. The only context for hate to be released is to God. And in that space, he teaches you to love your enemies, which is the goal. In the church, we don't get to be offended about anything. And this is the enemy's tactic. He wants you to be offended. He wants you to get hurt. He wants you to, to assume the worst and then, and then collect injustice and then create this massive chasm between you and your brother and sister in the church. And then now that chasm is justified because you start talking to other people. And by the way, gossip, you don't even have to speak the gossip. You can just be around gossip and you're drinking poison. If somebody starts talking about someone else, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear anything that slanders, slanders the reputation of anyone. We have to honor people because it's poison. Podcasts become poison. They become gossip centers. The, the news can become poison. You got you to gotta filter the work of the enemy that wants you to be angry and on edge and unforgiving and hostile towards God's good and beautiful world. He wants you to know that that's how the enemy plays you like a fiddle. Are we all right? 13 minutes. This is like a, yeah, okay. So there's no Greek word for possession. You know that? There's no Greek word for possession or ownership. This is from Michael Heiser's book. Appears in passages to clarify, define the activity described by this Greek word. The better translation for demonic activity is demonized, okay? I want to read this long Um, quote from Robert Reamer, Rob Reamer. He says this, every time we pick up the tool of rebellion, we are picking up a tool of darkness and it can only lead to bondage, never freedom. For example, if someone sins against us and hurts us, Jesus tells us to forgive them, to bless those who curse us. If we forgive, we pick up the tool of the kingdom of God. We give access to God. If we hold on to bitterness, we are picking up the tool of the kingdom of Satan and we are giving access to Satan. Paul says that the devil gets a foothold ground. He gets access. Humanity is locked in Satan's dark kingdom and its effects because we have all sinned and given Satan access. So our lives are saturated with the fruit of darkness, pain and suffering and sorrow and injustice, sickness, demonization, bondage, addiction, poverty, and the alike. Those are the thing, these things were not part of God's design in the beginning and they will not be found in heaven. Can Christians come under high degree or influence by a demonic spirit? Is it possible for Christians to yield control of their bodies to to a demonic spirit in the same way that they yield to the power of sin? The simplest answer is yes, absolutely. Now there's there's no way a Christian can be possessed to use that word because we are in Christ. But there's a level of demonic activity we all allow into our lives. There's a bunch of passages that talk about this, um, that, the, that there are Christians who will abandon their faith because of deceiving spirits taught by demons. Apostasy, bad theology can influence your life for darkness. If you hold on to anger, Ephesians 4, we can give the devil a foothold, a ground to take more ground in your life. I love this quote which is Clinton Arnold, but it's quoted in Charles Craft's book. He says, the early church believed that everyone who came to Christ out of the world was carrying demons. Is that helpful? 
Well, therefore, they required new converts to go through a preparation time, sometimes up to two or three years, during which they received instruction, underwent deliverance from demons. Only after the church leaders were sure the potential members was free from, uh, of demons would they baptize him or her. It's the catechism of the church. We have a theology of baptism that we see in the New Testament that there's, when you believe in Jesus, the response to belief is to get water baptized according to the New Testament. And there's plenty of cases where someone comes to faith and then they get immediately baptized. People in this church today have made the decision to get baptized. They have decided along the way. We have some middle schoolers and high schoolers getting baptized. We have other people that are choosing to say yes, they're gonna follow Jesus. Um, but in the other ch early church, part of your baptism, which we're gonna add to our questions, just letting you know now, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? This isn't like, oh, I want a new chapter in my life. This is, I believe Jesus is Lord and raised from the dead and I'm gonna follow him for the rest of my life. The third question that's often found in early church writings is, do you renounce all other forms of spiritual power and do you, do you claim the authority of Jesus over your life? You have to renounce the other for, forms of power you lived under. Because we all are placing our trust in Jesus, but some of us are still placing our trust in other counterfeit gods. Are you guys okay? Yeah. Okay. This is a lot, I know. Okay. We're do, you guys can handle it. You're a smart bunch of people. The Spirit of God can give you revelation. If you don't quite get it, ask the Holy Spirit to give you revelation. So here's what demonic activity looks like. First of all, they're layers, okay? First one was we're all tempted by demons. Number one, all of us experience the enemy tempting us to sin, to move away from the things that are good from God. That's the enemy's active in temptation. Number two is harassment. You're repeatedly harassed by the enemy, by, by, by demonic activity, which you might have to fight all the time and it becomes annoying and a form of distraction in your life. It can even move to persecution, okay? Harassment. The third degree is oppression. This is a heavy attack, which is persistent and oftentimes crushing. To use physical language, it's like an ever-tightening metal band around your head, gradually ratcheting up on pre with pressure. And during the season of oppression, where we're being uh, tempted and we're harassed. And in our harassment, let's say we give in to the temptation and now we're, we begin to be owned by our addiction, which is away from God. We get oppressed to the point where we become enslaved to the things that are killing us. It might start with some lustful images and it might move to pornography addiction or acting out in other places with a sex addiction. It might start with a little too much, a couple of drinks, you know, every so often to a couple of drinks every day to an entire bottle to not even going to work without the thing to being addicted to the, the, the substance. It doesn't have to be a substance that gets you there. It could be uh, consuming. Uh, it could be the food you eat. It, all sorts of things can be destructive habits that move into owning you. Does that, is this, are you guys good? Yeah. Just trying to diagnose What's happening? Then there's a fourth one, which is habitation. You're demonized. Where demons begin to live inside of your heart and ideas and your body. They don't own you like the, the idea of possession like this man in Mark chapter five. But you can be, you can inherit, you can engage, you can have all sorts of influence in your life that's been inhabited. Have you ever heard of generational curses in the Bible? Generational sins, you could call it generational demons. I know it's hard because we have a materialistic worldview, but there are things that our grandpa did that we do. We, maybe we grew up in an environment where explosive anger was, you know, just came out. Maybe we inherited, inherited it through a generation of people impacted by demonic activity. I'm just putting it out there for you to think about. I'm not saying there's a demon under every rock. I'm not saying every issue you have is a demon. Please, not every sickness is a warfare to fight. Can we just get over that? Like maybe you just need to take a nap and you're okay. <laughs> Don't be texting, I'm being attacked. It's like you didn't, you, wa you binge watched something on Netflix and didn't sleep, relax. The last one is this idea of possession. It's the idea of being owned or demonized. It's where there's a dominating control of your life that makes you a prisoner. You're confined, you're shackled. It's Mark chapter five. Can believers experience that? No, they cannot. They can experience all the other ones. Because in Christ, 
you now are a prisoner of the Lord and you've experienced freedom. I will say though, not everyone that thinks they're a follower of Jesus is a follower of Jesus. So we call upon the name of the Lord and he sets us free, he delivers us. And I've seen this over and over again. I've seen in this church a level of possession for non-Christians in our community. I've seen lots of demonic activity. Our whole prayer team, we see it all the time. It's not to be seen as this dramatic thing. It's not as dramatic as Mark 5. It's often subtle and quiet. Um, Mark 5, this is what happens. Let's go back to Mark chapter 5. Um, it says this. Jesus says, uh, so come out of this man, you impure spirit. Verse 9, what's your name? My name's Legion, he replied, for we are many. It's not just one demon. It's lots of demons. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged, Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go in there. And he gave them permission. The impure spirits came out, went to the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down a steep bank, and they drowned. What does the enemy come to do? Steal, kill, and destroy. You see it personified in that story. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported what happened to all the countrymen. When they came to Jesus and saw that the man who had been possessed by a bunch of demons who was yelling every night there, the man that the, they created policies about that they would tell their kids, don't disobey, you'll become like the guy screaming in the tombs. That guy is sitting dressed in his right mind and they were afraid because nobody was strong enough except Jesus. A couple of observations about deliverance. I want to just give you some practical. You guys good? Number one, it's not really a battle at all for Jesus. I need more than anything else, you need to hear this if you're a follower of Jesus. It is not really a battle. What what kind of battle just happened? Like we're talking an army of demons confronts Jesus and before Jesus strolls off the boat, they're already submitting. Hey, 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 don't torture us. There's no battle, even in this. It's like, it does not make sense. We give so much power to the enemy. We give so much authority. I have experienced oppression and pain and sickness from the enemy. I've seen all sorts of things. So I'm not saying it's not, it doesn't affect us. We will suffer 100%, but we give it so much power. Jesus doesn't even have to put up a fight. He already submits and he obeys. It's not a Hollywood exorcism. Now, there are cases where I've seen there is way more confrontation going on, but that often has to do with the individual releasing things. Because they, they engaged in the activity and that engagement became part of their identity. And oftentimes they don't want to release the things that they've been holding on to. We'll, we'll have to do more on demonization. I realize that this is a lot of like new content for so many. We have a, a bunch of books we'll recommend. Can we remind me to put it out on the email for you guys to read if you're interested in this? Don't give the enemy more power or more flu- influence or p- authority. In Jesus, you have it. The second thing I want you to know, observable, is there's a power in naming the opposition. I, I want to say this. In deliverance ministry, I don't think you need to find out the demons' names. This is going to be like hyper, uh, you know, disclaimer. You don't need to go through and, and try to name all the demons. But there is a power in naming the, the, the power you've given yourself over to. So stay with me for a second. I think the enemy exploits ideas in our minds until they grow to overwhelm us. I think we make agreements with false beliefs and false narratives and false identities and those false beliefs become agreements we've made with the enemy that become strongholds that need to be broken in our life. And so you need to know what strongholds are in your life to get freedom. And the Spirit of God can help you identify these. What do I mean by this? The enemy exploits it and they grow to overwhelm us. So false belief, like let's say like me, I grew up saying, I'm never going to be enough. I'm not worthy of love. Only love is contingent upon my performance. This is, I'm not smart enough. I'm not good looking enough. I'm not worthy enough. So I live with this powerful false identity. And then I accept Jesus and I believe he's Lord and Savior, but I have this agreement with the devil about who I am. 
I read these passages, you're more than a conqueror. You're beloved. You're my co-heir. Uh, I've separated your sin as far as the east from the west. I might read those, but what I really believe is, nope, I got to prove it. So I live with a, an insecurity. By the way, all insecurities are is a form of pride, and pride destroys all your relationships. It will always seep up. So if this is a false belief that is still kicking around in your life, it will hold you captive and destroy your relationships. It will destroy your potential in the kingdom. Are we awake? The enemy exploits your insecurity. You make agreements and you live those agreements out. Let's say you have pain and you're like, oh, I'm always going to be left out of community. Agreement. Have you, do you see this? Or let me, let me get maybe a little more specific. Um, I, I will always struggle with sexual addiction. I will always struggle with insecurity. I will always struggle with fear. I will always have anxiety. I will always have depression. I always get sick. I am always going to be this way. My husband will never love me the way I am. We give power to these perspectives. And then the demons and Satan will push people to fear things, fear itself, have anger and rejection, self-hatred and unforgiveness, lust, shame, guilt, false identity, compulsions of all sorts of kind, whatever the person's uh, prone to, they push us that direction. And when people obey them through submitting to temptation, demons try to get, try to get you to blame yourself for them. It's your fault. You have this powerful force pushing on you. You do the thing that you don't want to do and then it makes you feel shame. You're never enough. You're always going to be this way. Nothing's going to save you and this is your fault. Agreements with the enemy are binding contracts that need to be broken. They need to be legally broken through the kingdom of God. How do you break them? You repent from them. The power of naming the problem, naming the lie, the false belief, the false identity is, has the power to break strongholds in your life. Church, I need you to hear this. This is what I need you to hear today. The strongholds of false belief have power over your life that you've given it. You have to name it and you have to repent. Lord, I repent from believing I am not enough. I repent for claiming I will never change. Why? Lord, you say in the word, I'm more than enough. I'm your beloved. That's the truth. You replace the lie with the truth. And you say, will you forgive me for believing lies over truth? Now fill me with your spirit and make this a belief system I can hold on to. And every time that thought pops up, because it's going to be a whisper, you reject it. I, I, I'm not listening to the lie. I'm living into the truth and replace it with scripture. You guys good? This is, this is tools for battle. And I don't mean like go and take down the world, you know, uh, take down Satan's dominion. No, 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 no. Go home with your kids and break down the strongholds in your house that you've inherited from your parents, from your grandparents, from your great-grandparents, and it's been taught over time, but now you live in a jungle of thought and take that machete in the word of God, it's the sword of the spirit, and chop that freaking thing down. Let's go. What has power over you? Write it down. Some of you are like, I'm, I'm doing everything I can. Stop believing you will not change in Christ. Repent, confess, and begin to ask for power from on high to keep you grounded in truth, in spirit, in your true identity. You've given too much power to your addiction. You've given too much power to the pain of rejection. You've given too much power to the broken relationship that hurt you that time, and now you have a collection of broken relationships. Repent. You don't need to go to all the people that hurt you. Ask God to release you from the prison of unforgiveness. Let's go, church. This is going somewhere. Wow. I got like two more pages. Forget that. Jesus says in John 8, 31, if you hold to my teaching, logos, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the what? The feelings, the diagnosis, 
You will know the right information and data. You know the Google information. No, you will know truth and truth will set you free. Name it, surrender it, invite Jesus into it, allow him to teach you the other thing. Gosh, I got so much I gotta tell you. We're gonna baptize in just a second. I I gotta tell you one, this is in my notes. I was just thinking, can I give you a secret to battling the warfare that you're going through right now? Operate in the opposite spirit. Let's say you're bringing accusation to your spouse. Stop accusing them of what they're doing wrong. Start bringing affirmation. See what happens. You are filled looking at the world of how you're not enough. Start looking at God's children and thinking, affirming and blessing. And, and you, you don't have to say it out loud. Just walk into Starbucks. You're, you're focused on your self-insecurity. Start validating God's beautiful creation around you. Opposite spirit. Enemy wants you to get you here. Get, look out there. Whatever the thing is that's owning you, operate in the opposite. Bitterness, anger, rage, lust. Lust in itself, the, the word in the Greek is the desire to possess. So you're, it doesn't start with the action. It starts with a mindset of capturing things that you desire and wanting to, wanting to um, act upon them in the future. It's the, the whole process of getting to the thing. Start by changing the way you think about people in the world around you. So it starts way over here before it gets there. Operate in the opposite spirit. If you desire to possess, one thing you can do is give. I I see this in scripture. Hey, uh, those of you that steal, stop stealing. Go to work and give so you have something to give to the Lord's people. This is Ephesians. You're doing this thing. No, do this thing. You with me? All right, that was a freebie. Uh, Number three, in Jesus, we have greater power and authority than the demons in the world. This isn't in my notes. I came up with it just before I got here. Um, So I want to give you power and authority. I get this all the time. Hey, can you come over to my house? I have like, I'm seeing demonic things at night. Um, I'm like, hey, you just did two things. You gave it more power than you uh, need to because you in Christ have power over this thing. Two, you're giving it, um, you're, you're asking for someone like a, a pastor to come in thinking that they have more power than you do. So you, you need to not even worry about it and you need to learn how to take authority over the demonic presence that might come after you. So here's what we do. Put, put the, uh, how do we take authority over demonic activity? If you come to our prayer training, you'll get this. I'm, I'm gonna give you uh, seven steps. Write this down, ready? And then we're gonna, we're gonna close in prayer. Number one, with authority, you say, in the name of Jesus, you, you live with authority because of him, not because of what you can do. It's his authority that you, you, you have to surrender to his authority and operate out of his authority. Yes. <laughs> By the power and authority of Jesus Christ, so perfect. Command, <laughs> if you're listening to the podcast, I just gotta say, right when I talk about authority of Jesus, a jet flies by, shaking and rattling the room. Just saying yes and amen. Command, not ask. You don't say, oh, I'm asking the spirits to leave. You command the spirits to go. To whom you speak directly to the evil spirits. You don't need to know their name. And you tell them what to do. So command, you tell it to whom, the what. You're going to leave this person or this, this closet that my kid's seen figures in. By the way, teach your kids this. Don't, prote- don't try to shield them from the war. Train them in battle now. Train them in battle. They have to learn that this is a cosmic battle we're a part of. This isn't like kumbaya. Christianity is pushing back against evil. Number five, you tell them how. Leave this person without harming them, without disturbing this place. You go quietly. You tell them where. Don't tell them just to leave. Tell them to go straight to Jesus. Let me tell you why. I was in India. There's this woman who was possessed by a demon. She was slithering like a snake, sneaky little snake. And... um, And she, we, like a bunch of us are trying to, you know, go there. I finally show up and I, I do this thing in the name of Jesus. We have no translator, but I say in the name of Jesus, I tell this demon to leave it and go uh, in Jesus' name. And it, she goes flat, relaxed, and her sister who was praying right next to her, immediately, they don't speak English. As soon as they say it in English, demons know English, went right to the other girl. She starts slithering like a snake. And I was like, oh, my bad. Remember that? John was there. Who was there? And so, and then I'm like, oh, we got to send him to Jesus. So then we sent the demon to Jesus. 
And then the sister went flat and no, no more manifestations. Um, fill, the, fill the space. Now, Lord Jesus, would you fill this uh, person or place with your Holy Spirit? And, and, so, and, and never to come back again. So the, the prayer looks like this. You could take it. So in the authority and power and in the name of Jesus, I command you, evil spirit, to depart from this person without harming them. Leave them quietly without disturbance and go straight to Jesus Christ and never return again. I pray now, Lord Jesus, that you would fill my brother or sister with your love and your Holy Spirit. Can I just say this one prayer gives you everything you need right now to engage in warfare when, when your brother or sister is tormented, okay? It doesn't have to be crazy. It doesn't have to be the Exorcist movie. That's all. There we go. That's what you get. So here's how I'm going to end it. We're going to do baptisms in one second. There's power for deliverance. Let me just say this. You all in Christ have power to participate in the ministry of Jesus. Stop wasting time. Go after God's creation. Set people free. They need your belief. They need your faith. They need the access to power that you have in Christ. Set the captives free. This is his ministry. So where do you find yourself? Maybe you're here and you're like the disciples. You're living with superstition, not really believing um, that this is the paradigm for you. You have an old paradigm. This is the paradigm you need to step into. Accept the fact that in Christ you are called to preach the kingdom, heal the sick, and cast out demons. Number two, maybe your past experience has limited what God can do in your life. I believe Jesus wants to make things right and bring deliverance to some of you. You've been trapped by a form of worldly power. You've got your WebMD, but you don't realize that WebMD does not say demonized. And so maybe it's time to humble yourself and say, Lord, if there is a spirit, may, I may you move in power and begin to address these things. Maybe you're here and you need liberation and freedom like that man. And it's time to recognize that you need to surrender yourself. You need to offer, ask God about the false narratives, the belief systems, and pray. And, and if you're here and you need prayer, we'd love to pray. Maybe you're here and you're like me as I walked on stage going, I have been saved. I have been healed. I have been delivered. The story is that this man doesn't go with Jesus. He goes back to that region and he tells them, I'm crazy Marv, the guy that you locked up at tomb. But I'm right, in, I'm, I'm right in my mind. There's no more chains. I've been set free by this guy, Jesus. Because the next time Jesus shows up to the region, crowds flock. Why? Because of that man's testimony. You need to start sharing your testimony. All right. I had so many other things to say, but let's leave it there. Can we all stand? Thanks for joining us. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. For more information, go to Garden.Church. God bless you.